All right, so I'll just give the quick intro, and then uh, I guess we'll start off with how addicts get started, right? Because uh, you said it started in the back of a cop car. I think that's yeah, yeah. We can do that. We'll do that one real quick, and you just keep prompting me with goofy stuff that I can answer to. All right, I got my notes right here. What's swinging nation? Welcome back to the Steel Mace Nation podcast. Today it's January twenty uh, first, and it's twenty twenty two. And this will be uh, a new format for this podcast. And to introduce it uh, is Don from Addicts, Mace, and Club. Um, and what we decided we're going to do here at the podcast is we're going to split it into like two. It's going to be like the regular podcast and then the super podcast. The super podcast will be the second half, and that will be on Patreon. And you could go to patreon.com uh, forward slash steel mace. And if you look, there's two tiers. There's a donation tier, and then there's your um, official Patreon tier. Official Patreon tier is only five bucks a month. When you sign up, you'll get a Steel Mace Nation sticker right out of the gate. And then this is going to be our first episode on the Patreon account where you're going to hear excellent tips coming from Don himself. This guy created the uh, Addicts Adjustable Mace. He's been involved with the Vintage Strength Games. He knows how to train. So we're going to get into the, some nitty-gritty stuff. Um, so that's going to come up on the Patreon account. For this portion of the podcast, the, the free portion, we're just wrapping. We're going to introduce some ideas and stuff. Still going to be good. It's still going to be great. If you're not interested in the other tier, then just pop over to Patreon, then sign up for the uh, for the donation one. You could you could donate one, two, three dollars, and just help support the podcast. So, Don, thank you for showing up to the podcast. Oh, you're welcome, man. I'm always I'm always honored to be on this show. I love this show. You make it fun, and I know that for a fact. You know how I know that? How's because that? On the way over to the podcast studio today which is called a shared universe podcast studio, Red Bank, boom. Uh, I was listening to our, po our first podcast. I was listening to it. Episode number 22. Um, do you remember doing that podcast? Oh, geez. What was that, like two years ago? Yeah. It was, and... it, I, I was cracking up, dude, because you are <laughs> hilarious. You, you're just so comfortable. And, like, you're just, you're running around and you're getting up and we're making jokes. It was a lot of fun. I, I never really realized um, how funny you were, you know, and I'm oh, just that was, realizing that it now. <laughs> was that the one where I said, hang on a second, I got a, I got a club in my kitchen? Yes, right. And I went to the kitchen and I got a club out of the kitchen? Yeah, and I'm thinking you're going to come back with like a bowl of spaghetti or some pizzas or something because you used to make pizza. espresso. Right. Yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> So, you know, and then you've been on the podcast again um, and probably again after that. Um, and you're you're now anointed a uh, co-host. That's I consider you a co-host of the podcast. Um, and we're going to try to get you on more often because you have some vital. Um, well, you have a, you have a good sense of the industry and what's going on. We talk shop on the phone all the time. Two hour, three hour phone calls. Crazy, right? We talk about everything. Everything under the sun. We're going to try to keep it a little bit more streamlined today for the audience. But what we never heard about was really how addicts got started and, um, you know, what, what you were thinking and where the idea came from and everything. And 
you told me the other day and I was like, yo, man, you got to share this on the podcast. So I'm going to just let it go right to you. Let's hear about the origin of addicts. Okay. So back in 1996, I hurt my shoulder and I separated my collarbone from my shoulder blade, my clavicle from my, my scapula, their joint. And when people talk about a separated shoulder right here, the two bones come together. They make a point like this. People with anatomy and physiology know this. And I think that's, that's some fossa that it creates there that your humerus hangs out of. And there's a ligament between the two, the, between the collarbone and the, and the shoulder blade. And that ligament stretched out. It didn't tear. When people have a separated shoulder, that ligament tears. So this stretched out, it got real sloppy and my bicipital nerve and tendon used to jump up in between there because I was making pizza at the time and I'm doing this all day long and throwing the pizza in the air. So my shoulders going up and down, arms going up and down and it would pinch and it would have this pain. And I was, I was a fairly strong guy. I wasn't a monster or anything like that, but I trained in bro lifting, you know, and I didn't skip leg day if anybody's questioning that because you say bro lifting, but I did do leg day. Um, I had a pretty good squat uh, at the time. So my deadlift, my squat were pretty big. My bench press was lagging. I wanted to get up my bench press. I entered a bench press competition, was training for it, ended up separating my shoulder with a missed lift. The weight fell on me, problems. What happened, well, I've been at, at that point, I was probably exercising about 20, I think I was 32 or 33 when that happened, 33. So I've been exercising, let's say for 20 years, since I was 12, 13 years old. And I've been working out since then. But what happened after that injury, after I recovered from it, I went to the doctors and I went to three doctors actually, all three of them said I needed a screw in my shoulder to tighten it up. But one of the doctors did give me hope and say, you might be able to fix it with therapy if you tighten everything up around it and strengthen everything. So I was like, okay. So I said, what's the problem? He said, probably an imbalance in your rotator cuff muscles. Those are the sits muscles for anybody who wants to look them up. Um, those, <laughs> so I, I couldn't, after that injury, I couldn't overhead press and I couldn't get in a plank position to, to bench press or do a push-up. Can I get in here without being, you know, in, in bad pain? And I thought I was debilitated at this age. I ended up not working out for about 10 years. I tried different things, you know, even all the way to yoga. I, I, I was like, all right, let's start with yoga. It's simple. Running, running would bother me because the arm bounced, the jarring bouncing up and down would irritate my shoulder. So I was like, there's got to be something. So I kind of like fell out of exercise. And thank goodness. I, so in that time, too, I also transitioned from working in restaurants to working in the construction field. I wanted to get out of the restaurant game. You know, that's a young man's business. That's for young people, not just a young man, young people, um, you know, because it's a lot of hours and a lot of partying and everything else. Um, so anyway, I uh, I started. uh trying to figure out different ways to train. And over the course of about 10 years, I found, I typed in in 2007, uh, on the, I remember this, the year it was, uh, on Ask Jeeves was the search engine. Remember the butler that had the little tray, right? So it was on Ask Jeeves and I type in alternative shoulder exercise. 
and it comes up with Scott Sonnen from, you know, the club bell guy, Armax guy, tech fit, you know, the, the, the guru of this. And he's swinging a 15 pound club and he's doing this. And I know the movements and I've seen people train with Indian clubs. Uh, when I was younger, I don't know if a lot of people know this. Most, most people from the Northeast and slightly going into the Midwest to like Ohio or in Pennsylvania and stuff, I've probably heard of so-called club. You've heard of so-called clubs, right? So it was a, um, it was like a, uh, a social club for Slovak and Polish and Russian people. And they had gyms in all of them because the so-called lifestyle that was developed in Czechoslovakia in like 1880 or whatever it was, they touted physical fitness, music, and, and higher education. So they were creating, you know, they were creating well-rounded individuals. Think Teddy Roosevelt. You know, this guy studied everything, was like, you know, an avid debater, loved to play chess, but also worked out because he was a sickly child and he had to do that to stay alive. And the guy would box and wrestle and lift weights and everything, what you did in, you know, 1890s Victorian America. Right. So anyway, the so-called clubs had these gymnasiums and my grandfather used to take me there when I was a kid. Now, this is my Slovak grandfather. So I would go there, you know, four five, six years old. I'd go there and I'd see kettlebells. I'd see dumbbells. I'd see guys lifting weights, pommel horses, rings. And these old men would take off like their factory work shirt and have on like a wife beater underneath, you know, and suspenders on. And they'd be in their work shoes. And they just unbutton their shirt, put it over a bar stool. They'd have a cigarette burning and a little short glass of beer. And they would come over and take a puff of their cigarette, sip a beer and go back and do their workout. And these guys were doing Indian clubs at the time and kettlebells. And, you know, like I was amazed by this stuff. So as years went on and I was searching for this thing, I come across Sonin, back to Sonin. And I see him doing this thing. And I'm like, I remember the guys swinging the wood clubs, but they were little, you know, now this guy's got a modern one and he's a young guy doing it. And he looks kind of buff. He doesn't look like an old, you know, immigrant factory worker. He looks like, you know, guy that could take you out because he was actually in the Olympiad. He was a silver medalist in the Olympiad for, uh, I think, Samba fighting a Russian style of, of wrestling. You know, like it's like BJJ, but it's Russian. Right. So, 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 so I, I start watching Sonnen's videos. And when I saw that video of him doing the mill with the 15 pound club, and I started reading about, he put a lot of information up about the tractioning effect and how your muscles move and everything. I was like, that's the thing I need to get to make my shoulder feel better. And I, like, I kind of thought of it, you know, like I saw something. Around what year was this? This was in 2007. Okay, 2007. All right. So I lived from like, you know, from like 95 to 2007 with this pain in my shoulders, basically oh. like 11 years. Wow. And I was, you know, just slowly getting out of shape. You know, I was getting, now I'm in my mid 30s. I'm getting, you know, I'm turning into dad bod and everything else, you know, 10 years. So I'm like not really doing anything. Right. Um, and, and it was bothering me mentally too, you know, that I, I, I was like, physic- I felt disabled. And when the guys were, and when the doctors were telling me they want to put a screw in my shoulder, I, I think back to you ever see dudes with screws in their shoulder. One arm goes all the way up. The other one only goes to here. Yeah. You know, and I, I didn't want to be that guy and I didn't want to take a chance. So I said, let me try this before I do anything. You know, let me try therapy before surgery. 
And even though it was years out from the injury, et cetera, um, I started, I, I looked around the house and I grabbed a baseball bat, you know, something to emulate it. The bat wasn't heavy enough to create the traction of it. You know what, you know what it feels like when you're using a club or a mace that's too light. You're just kind of moving it through the air. Yeah. You know, you might as well be just using this pen. Yeah. You get no feedback. Like your, your muscles, it's all just like swing and momentum. That, that, that's an important detail. I don't want to pause you too long, but um, if you want to get a workout from a mace or a club, there's got to be a, the weight there so that your muscles actually do something. And I know that sounds so obvious, but it goes unnoticed by people all the time when they first break into mace and clubs. It takes a while before they start realizing, wait a minute, I should actually be using like a 40 pound club instead of 15 or 20. So yeah. just, just a little, little note. And we'll, we'll be talking about uh, training techniques in the second half of the podcast, but uh, just wanted to say that. So go ahead. So anyway, I, I, I realized the bat was too, too light. Yeah. So I look around the garage, you know, I don't have any disposable income at this time. I'm getting hammered for child support. Um, I, I think I was working 2007. I was, I was already working at the crane company. I got a job as a crane operator. So in that transition in a few years, I ended up going to, you know, like into construction field, found out the crane guys were getting paid the most and said, how do I get to there and worked my way towards there. Right. So, so I was doing that and uh, you know, I was getting hammered up on child support. I, I'm, I shouldn't say that it's my kids. I, yeah, every guy out there paying child support, as long yeah. as your ex-wife's not taking the kids out to get their nails done or spend it on a new Gucci bag. You actually, you actually talked about, I, I just mentioned earlier, I was listening to our podcast, episode 22. You mentioned doing child support and you actually gave good advice about uh, paying for a house for your kid. Yeah. You remember yeah. that? It was good advice. I was like, wow, that's good advice. I, I don't think you can listen on. to that on the, on the other podcast, put the link for that up right here. Yes. And you also do talk about the, the genesis of the, of the club and you're showing pick, you're showing video. It, uh, it's on the video. You're showing everybody on episode 22. So the dumbbell. definitely you should yeah. jump, jump to that and you could see exactly what he was using. So now you, you mentioned though, the other day, um, that you actually decided to do addicts in the back of a cop car. Yeah. 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 So I, so I designed this. So anyway, I, 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 2007, I see the, I see the, the, um, the benefit that it could have, you know, this is something exciting for me. So I take a dumbbell from the garage and it's got the screws on the end and I load it up to three pounds on one side and I leave the weight off the other side. And yeah. I just use it as like a little club and the thing's only like this big, you know, and it's a little weight on it and I'm trying to do a mill. So for everybody, if you remember back when you first tried to do a mill, you were like, what the hell is going on? You know, like you have no idea that there's that wag in the back and all this other stuff. Right. So like, you know, like I, I'm, I don't know how to train dynamically because I'm coming from bro lifting, you know, everything's weights, you know, push or pull. Nothing is dynamic like Olympic weightlifting. I don't know how to do that. Um, I don't know how to use kettlebells. So I had to figure this out. So I kind of like pushed my way through it. But I talked to Sonan a little bit and I talked to other people and I kind of, I kind of started like getting my way with it. But what I did was I trained with this for X amount of time. 
and saw if I, there was any results. At the end of this, at the end of this time, I got down to the floor and I was able to hold the plank position. Not only that, but I could do 10 push-ups, which was the first 10 push-ups I did in like 10 years. And I was like, this works. This helped me. You yeah. know, three months of doing this, 90 days of doing that every night, a hundred reps on each arm. However, I figured out how to do a mill. I don't, I have no, it didn't, I probably doesn't even represent a mill. I was probably just going like this, you know, but right. whatever the, the work was that I did, it helped me. And, and, and I know I've heard you say before that lately you've been uh, talking to doctors and stuff. You've shared this story with doctors, right? Like physical. Oh, yeah, therapy. yeah, yeah. Even, even with. They understand what it is that you're talking about, right? Yeah, I've worked with um, like uh, it was last year. I had that operation on my elbow because I had the bone spur cut my tendon to my tricep and I had to get it reattached. And. The doctor was he 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 was he is the team surgeon for and physician for the Miami Dolphins. Okay. So like he works with athletes. I got to him via a friend of mine who's a, a physical he owns a physical therapy clinic, and he guided me towards this guy. And this guy took me, you know, as a patient. And um, you know, I said, "Listen, you know, I'm an, I, I work doing this," and he's like, "You know, you know, you're an athlete. You're you're doing this for a living. You know, this is your job. You have to demonstrate this this." He says, you have to be perfect with this. But, you know, that's another story. That's another podcast, that operation. And okay. the but um, back to that, you know, I started messing around with this, but I couldn't afford to buy a few of Sonin's clubs. You know, his clubs are good and they're a little pricey. And I was like, you know, I, I couldn't justify spending the money, in other words. But one thing that I had was a buddy of mine's, uh, a key to a buddy of mine's welding shop is I would do work with him every once in a while. And he's like, yeah, anytime you need to make something, just come over and use it. So I, I looked at a T-ball bat and I cut it uh, mm -hmm. about this far from the top. I made a thread for it. I made a, I made a female part for it. You know, I turned it all on the lathe that he has in his shop. And I, I put this together and I started sandwiching regular weights in, in the T-ball yeah. bat. Yeah. And then I messed around with that. So I could, you know, I could load like 30, 40 pounds in there with five and 10 pound weights. And it was pretty cool. So I was like, wow, I like this type of training. I'm still working for the crane company as I'm going along. So I'm always doing that, but I'm trying to exercise at the same time. But I come home exhausted and tired from work, working in the heat in Florida. Um, you know, I'm trying to get in my training in and, and, you know, carrying it along. But I'm using this thing fairly, not religiously, but let's say like, let's say at least minimum two days a week. So this baseball bat loaded up with weights in it. And uh, somewhere around 2010, I decided, you know what, I should probably draw a real club that's adjustable instead of this baseball bat thing that I came up with. So I drew the shape of the club and I came up with a design. And I'm making much better money now at the crane company because it's a few years in. I'm now a senior operator. You know, I'm instructing other guys. I'm in charge of a lot of stuff. So, you know, I'm, my pay is consummate to what my responsibilities were. I grew with the company and I'm bored. I, I don't know if you will. You probably seen on, you know, you're familiar with construction sites. Crane operators are sitting there all day. A lot of times they don't even turn the crane on for a whole day. And that's a nice day of work. You know, you're bored. So I'm sketching this design while I'm sitting in a crane and I'm calling people, you know, where can I get metal, blah, 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 blah. 
ultimately I ended up making the first like adjustable ADX club at, in the shape to what we know it now. Okay. And the original one had six settings and it weighed 24 pounds. And I, I, I was like, yeah, this is cool. So I'm, so I designed it in 2010. I made it in 2011. I commissioned a machine shop to do it. It cost me $989 to make the prototype. It was all done by hand. So much for the, you know, saving money, having an adjustable club, right? But, you know, I figured I'm this far gone. I'm making good money. I can afford that now. I completely forgot about Sonin's clubs. I'm just doing my own thing, right? I want to use this adjustable thing that I designed. So I messed around with it for about two years, I did, well, no, it was a year, a year. So I, I made it 2010, 2011, 12, 13. Yeah, 2011, I got arrested. And just like uh, in, in January of 2011, I got arrested. I got pulled over for a DUI, um, ended up getting arrested. I took the arrest. I, anybody who gets pulled over for a DUI, do not blow in the breathalyzer and do not do the field sobriety test. Just say, arrest me, take me to jail. That's all you have to do. Do not give them evidence against you. And I'm serious. I've heard that before. I, I ended up getting out of this. Take the night in jail. It's no big deal. It's not going to, it's no big deal to go to jail for the night. And uh, so I, I took the arrest and all the problems that went with it, but what happened was, was that it was, uh, I mean, it took, it took two years for the case to get out. But anyway, I realized after I got arrested and I got to tell you guys, this, this was a night that I really wasn't drinking. I just had breath and that's why I got busted. You know, you know, you, you drink two beers and, and a shot of whiskey and you're watching a whole basketball game on top of dinner. And then, you know, the news and family guy afterwards, before you go home, I mean, that's kind of a long time, you know, to get pulled right. over. And, and, but anyway, I'm not going to justify my case. I, I was found not guilty by a peer of my uh, peer, a jury of my peers, nice. which was really, really cool. So um, while I was in the back of the cop car, I was thinking to myself, what the hell, you know, like I, I'm in this job that I'm actually like, like, I don't want to say I was frightened to go to work, but every, you know, Fred, you're a fireman. Every time when you get off a shift, you're like, thank God I made it through the day. Yeah. Yep. It's another day down. And yep. this, yes. and you right. know, this, this shit starts stressing you after a while. So, you know, like I'm, I'm like, you know, knocking it back with a few drinks every night. And this is what happened. So I was like, I can't live like this. This is crazy. You know, like I'm, I'm, you know, um, it's like, you know, you, you hit the ground every day, come out of a tower. You've been up there for eight, 10 hours and you're doing some stupid lifts and you get down to the bottom and you look up at the tower and you go, damn, things 180 feet high and you want to kiss the ground. So I was like, you know, I don't need this stress. Maybe I should take that design that I was doing. And I'm, this is in the back of the cop car. Now I'm sitting there in handcuffs. And I'm like thinking like this and I'm going, you know, like, all right, I got to get a public defender. I got to do this. I got to do that. I'm not going to have a job when I go back to work. So, you know, that's why I'm taking a public defender. Um, I really should go into my own business, you know, and maybe I'll, I'll have a better, uh, let's say I'll, I'll make better life choices if I'm doing something that's more meaningful to myself rather than just doing something to get through life you know 
I mean, let's face it. A lot of dangerous jobs are taken by guys that are, you know, this is the end of the rope. You know, I, I, I either got to be good at this job or I'm not going to make any money. I'm not going to make a retirement. I'm not going to be able to provide for my family the right way. So a lot of guys are doing these jobs that are dangerous because other guys don't want to do them. And, you know, so that's basically what I was doing. You know, I, I was taking a dangerous job because, you know, nobody else would do it. And so you you decided right there, like I right got there while I was like, uh, was it like hitting rock bottom for you, or was it just? Yeah, yeah. In, okay, in a way. all right. Yeah, in like a way, it was you're not like a falling down uh, drunkard or anything of that. Like your life was being destroyed by alcohol. You just had a a, a, a stupid night. That's all it was. Yeah, but yeah. Just the general, it, it kind of shook loose some thought processes that probably you were burying or whatever, and it gave you the the motivation to say, all right, I'm doing this. So you, so now you got all this that you've done before you get to this point and then you decided, all right, I'm going in all the way with addicts. Yep. I, I, I decided and that. And this that, is where we are today. This is where we are today. So yeah, like I, I just came out and then, you know, like I was, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this thing made. I'm going to test it out. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm testing out this club. Let's see how it works. And I pulled the trigger on actually, you know, commissioning a batch of 50 of them to be made. And then so with, what with year any, was that? That was 2011. So two, by 2013, 2013 is when I actually commissioned them to be made. So by the time my trial was over and everything. And yeah. All, so 2013 all, is when addicts actually hit the pavement with maces and clubs for sale. Yes, they did. And then I actually quit my job in 2014. Oh, okay. And so, can, do you, can you say how many, how many units you've sold? Or yeah, yeah. I'm I don't know up, if that's I'm, okay to ask. I'm coming up. Private? I'm coming up around. I'm getting real close to five thousand units that are out there. That's great. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. That's in the hands of people. I still got another. I still got another thousand in production. That yeah, I'm, I'm still taking another batch. I mean, I order fifty tons of steel at a time now. Wow. Wow. You're moving. You're moving metal, man. metal, Dude, I love I love the design. I can't get over it. I do. You know, I drive around in my pickup truck with a rifle case with two arcs. Uh, the regular mace and then the fat handle mace, you know, the one that comes with the with the five pound weight that goes over oh, the, the freestyle mace the freestyle i couldn't think of the name yeah yeah the freestyle and mace. and uh two clubs two regular clubs and two fat handle clubs i carry all of that in my truck and i always think to myself if i flip my truck these things are gonna shoot through me <laughs> like like missiles and that's what they are they're like they were designed by the military these things you touch them and you feel like you're holding the barrel of a 50 caliber machine gun and then you start taking it apart and the threads and you're like, dude, this is like a thread that would screw into the back of a thermonuclear device. And this is these weights have these pins so they don't they don't counter spin. You talk about all that stuff in episode 22. Yeah, that that's awesome stuff. And so now here we are. 2022, you have successfully launched um, the vintage strength training games along with other individuals that have been yeah, that's, that, Valerie that's Valerie Pulowski and and um yeah yeah so we're going with there you know it's 
that that started with their Frank DeMeo's involved in it a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And I went, I went to your twenty, I went to your twenty twenty games. Um, had a great time. Had you a lineup there. I did my five minute heat, and I was destroyed after that. You went outside and puked. Yeah, like, yeah. They were in me. Oh, that was awesome. I was like, this guy is awesome. <laughs> this is the first time I'm meeting everybody for the first time. Talking That's to you, up. talking to Frank, talking to everybody. I'm meeting everybody for the first time, and it was just, it was just a blast. But um, we, we have to tell the people it wasn't because I was drinking this time. It was because, no, did, you, because I got a DUI story before this. It was because they, I was in a flight that the guy I, I, I competed against guys that were out of my I, heavier weight class. They're in the over 210 pound class. So I'm competing against Scott Wong, who is a monster on the platform. Right, Brad right, Hutchins, right. Who's the president of the AMCCA, you know, the, the Mason Club competition. Yeah, game that the vintage strength is sanctioned under. Right. So you, yeah, you, you ran me into the ground. Right. Yeah. You're going against these, these hard guys. I mean, like yeah. literally, like I was scared. I was scared. I was like, dude, I'm not going to, I was like, I'm going to just be over here on the side. I did the best I could, man. I was just glad to be there and there's nothing to be scared of. They're great people actually, but they take that shit seriously. And you guys started something awesome. This, this uh, competition is so fun. I'm going to be at, the Fraser next one, yeah, I'm gonna be there. So in the next half of the podcast, and you guys got to go to the Patreon account so you could check this out. Don is going to share some really valuable secrets. I can't wait to hear this because what he tells us, I'm gonna be using for the next finished strength games, so that I could come better prepared and not be such a wimp when I go up against Scott Wong and and uh, Puerto. Right. Oh, Puerco Fuerte is going to be big, man. I need <laughs> I need to get my game in order. So uh, before we close out this half of the podcast and get to the and get to that, those training techniques, uh, just briefly share with us your ideal and your ideas of competition. Like, why is it so important uh, when it comes to to what we're doing? It, I think human nature, like we need to be competitive. You know, people will adopt that philosophy. Oh, I'm not competitive. I'm not competitive. And, and even by saying you're not competitive is putting you in an area to be competitive because, you know, now you're, you know, you're opening up a conversation for someone to say, well, why aren't you competitive? You know, so now there's competition, you know, an argument, a discussion is a competitive thing. You know, it's going back and forth until you can reach a mutual agreement, you know, I'm going to show you my side. You're going to you're going to tell me your side. And then we're going to come to an agreement as to what us is doing. So, you know, when you think about that, you know, we are competitive just by our species. And, you know, you have to figure, too, all animals are competitive. You know, it's just bottom line. You know, they're competing for something one way or another. Might as well do it for fun and you might as well have it health based. And I think. You know, the training, the um, even if you're training, so like you, even if you're working out, let's just say a couple hours a week or maybe an hour and a half a week, you work out three times a week for a, for a half an hour. You know, you're scheduling time and building a discipline for yourself and seeing the results of the hard work. So the competitiveness that you gravitate to is like, wow, I'd really like to play a game with my peers, say the MACE competitions, which are. By the way, they're a high intensity, low impact. It's a high intensity, low impact sport. And pretty much anyone can do it, you know, mm -hmm. as long as you're not like flat on a bed. 
Nice. You know, you could pretty much do it. I mean, people in, in, you know, in wheelchairs can do it. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, you know, you have this way to be able to compete safely and you can train for it, which is building up your health, your endurance, your, you, you know, you know, you're building yourself up and there's some byproducts of aesthetics. You know, you're not training exactly for aesthetics, but you're get the byproduct of looking better, feeling better, burning some fat and feeling healthier. And I think that in and of itself, you know, the exercise combined with camaraderie of going to an event where everybody, everybody at the, at the competitions is having a blast. Everybody cheers for each other. Even, you know, like even the person that's the worst, everybody's yelling for that person, you know, like, come on, let's get, you've been there, you felt it. Yep. You know, and everybody hugs at the end of the flights, everybody's high fiving. you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's a family. And then of course, you know, everybody goes out for pizza afterwards or chicken wings or burgers or whatever, or ice cream right. at some of the competitions. So, you know, that you're involved in a community with this now. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're bringing your best, right? It's competition. It's is it is you know some people they gotta win they just gotta win but some people are a little reluctant right they're like well I don't I don't know about competing I I say try it out just just take a bite out of that apple the reason why is because you're gonna bring your best and then when yeah. that's over and done with like you just said the the after party you're like hey man I was there with you guys and it's yep. just an awesome thing. You so, build okay. memories. You're, this is this is what you know. Your life is. You know, like you could spend your life. You know, look look at it this way. Look how many people go home from work and they just lay on the couch and they're watching. You know, oh, I watched a great movie last night. Huh. You know what? Mm. I, I I just set a PR for for my mace for my mace competition thing. You know, for my training, right. and then I went home, ate another great dinner because I just burned like you know whatever it was in that you know like. 400 calories, 300 calories in that workout, hopefully right. was right. probably only a hundred, you know, but you think in your head, you're burning. And I went home and I made a, a killer dinner, you know, like midnight meat sauce or something after the gym class. And yeah. then I watched that movie that you watched. And you watched the movie, that's right. Yeah. And then, but you only made it halfway because you fell asleep. That's, but that's the what discipline. I, the dis- yeah, exactly. But I do, but I don't care. Okay. So, is there. so that is perfect Don. What we're talking about is something I think we're losing as regular people. And that's all we are. We're just regular people, you know, but get out there and compete and do stuff with people, right? Do, you can't really do that. What are you going to do? Go work out like a gym rat with your friends in the gym and like take turns bench pressing. And like, is there really a competition there? I mean, maybe, but you know what I mean? It's not the same. So let's, let's, let's wrap it up here. Let's jump over to the, patreon and okay. let's talk real technical stuff i want to learn how to train up for a competition and mind you everybody what we're talking about is how to train up so you don't hurt yourself so you're better prepared it goes off without a hitch and think about it as you're building up your training toward that toward the final day when you perform you're building up your fitness overall and you're learning how to be like disciplined when you come off of the training the the competition day you continue with your training and this carries over all right let's head on over there we'll see you at the patreon account all right